Hi everyone, it's Mitchell and Tom here. Not the same person, Tom is here. Hello. Uh, and welcome to the Information Entry Podcast. This week we are talking about science, myths and bad experiments and bad science as we're calling it. Uh, we're going to talk about some misconceptions about science as well as some notorious examples of bad science and bad scientists. Uh, you can't see it, but I'm shaking my finger at them. Uh, we're going to talk about why it's important. Uh, and this is because summer down uh science myths and bad experience can have a real impact in our lives for example the myth that vaccines vaccines cause autism led to a decline in vaccination rates if you didn't know uh which then resulted in a resurgence of preventable diseases we'll go into a bit more but the detailed about that later uh so in this episode we're going to learn all about you know bad experiments uh, we'll talk about the history of the science myths some common science myths uh, notorious examples of bad science and the impact that it has had on generations because some have gone back a few years and have stopped some science coming forwards so sit back relax and enjoy the podcast yeah buddy that was that was a dramatic pause for you to interject there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well i just want to step on your toes in case anything else was coming you know yeah no i always forget to do the socials but with the socials if any twitter instagram spotify itunes wherever you can find us if you just search the information entry podcast you will find us we are there if you can give us ratings we appreciate it it helps other people see how awesome our podcast is uh and if not you can give us a critique but don't be a bad scientist or bad science about it give us a good critique <laughs> tell, us what, tell us what we need to do to improve yeah Tom, you're a scientist. Um, how are you? How do you feel about this episode? <laughs> yeah, I think it's important. Um, uh, well, a hundred percent. Because if you if you're doing bad science and the stuff you're putting out there is, you know, other people don't realise you're doing bad science, then I mean, it just completely undermines the entire process, right? Yeah. The, so, and, it, and one of the things to talk about later is the the knock on effect of bad science because if anyone hasn't done written a scientific paper or done like a thesis or a dissertation or anything like that you you have to reference because you don't just come up with all the ideas in a paper yourself you, you build upon you work upon you find old um papers that are written old ideas old experiments that have been proven and that kind of stuff and you build upon it so if you find out that there's a previous one that was bad it kind of like whips the rug from out your your thesis's legs as it were. Oh, exactly. And oftentimes that can form a basis for lots of people's research. Yeah, um, opportunity. So like, <laughs> Silver lining. Silver lining's here. Yeah, and it's quite funny, like, especially... So the marine mammal scientist world is one, the one that I'm d- directly involved with. Um, and there are sometimes... I don't want to say bad science is put out there, but controversial opinion science is put out there and there are so many rebuttal papers between these people who are essentially arguing in the scientific forum about why that person's paper is terrible and then they'll make another paper back to like try and support their idea further um it is quite funny from (laughs) a slightly outside perspective but it does show the importance that science is a forum to have a discussion and if you've got the data to back up your thoughts um and you're doing it in a sensible way you're following the scientific method then you know uh all should be well mm. um do you, do like you a- know the scientific method uh, the, um six points to the scientific method that people should be following if you write it down it's science that's it well done we, we did it uh <laughs> <laughs> the, the the scientific method uh, essentially comes up with six six points everyone should generally follow. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't always work, especially in the newer fields. But basically, you should firstly make an observation. Um, so, for example, my toaster isn't toasting. You should then ask a question. Oh, mm-hmm. why won't my toaster toast? You should three propose a hypothesis. Oh, maybe just the the plug is broken. Four, you should then make predictions about that. Five, you're then testing the predictions. And six, you are iterating that. So this would be like the discussion uh, of your results that you then publish in the scientific forum for Mm -hmm. other people to view. And 
hopefully, if your science is not sound, not robust, full of bias, when you send your paper off to be published by the reviewer, the reviewer or the journal, so they normally, so what happens is when you actually submit a paper, and this is something I'll be coming up to soon, is you send it off to the journal that you want it to be published in. Mm-hmm. They go, um, maybe it's what we're after, maybe it's not. And they'll say no or yes kind of immediately. Or they'll say no or maybe immediately. Then what they do is send your paper off to a reviewer. Normally they ask you to suggest people to review your paper. People who you know within your scientific field who should have a good enough understanding to know whether your paper is good or crap. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. they could send it to someone who has no idea about your field. Like, let's say I do dolphins, and they could send it to someone who studies cancer. And they're going to be like, I don't know if this paper is good or not, because I don't understand dolphin distribution data, right? Um, Hopefully, the reviewer you suggested says yes. Um, But that also comes up against things because what if you're suggesting your friend normally though they don't pick someone within like your institution so you can't just be like oh yeah my my best mate will do it mm-hmm. um and then the reviewer goes okay this is either fine we'll accept it with no revisions we'll accept it if you change these few things to make it a more robust paper um or there's a lot of work that needs to be done here before we'll accept it but we like the idea so go do those things and come back or they'll just flat out reject it. Um, and then if you meet the criteria, it gets published in, in the journal. So that's the, let's say, overview of the, the scientific uh, method and process to getting your published, your publications. But there are a lot of times where bad science does get through, as you mentioned with the vaccine um, causing autism link. So that came out in the Lancet journal who have had a pretty good record since then to be fair they're quite a high profile journal obviously the reviewer didn't check the data properly or i think in the fact that the data was manufactured in that paper specifically and they had actually hidden the that fact quite well so it got Mm -hmm. past the reviewer that it was it was fake um but the problem kind of say problem there are lots of journals now, some high profile, some not less, uh, not as high profile. No matter how bad your paper is, you can probably get it submitted these days somewhere. And that's the that's the other issue that we're coming up against. So a lot of universities now will actually give you, or hopefully give you the tools necessary to when you're reading a paper, subconsciously understand whether it is good or not is it actually telling you or giving you the answer that it tells you it's giving you does that data back it up and that can be really hard when firstly you're not someone who's involved in science secondly when newspapers just grab headlines rather than actually reading the body of the paper mm-hmm. um, thirdly when you're looking at a new field that you're not involved with let's say i was looking at cancer research i know absolutely nothing about uh the way okay maybe at a base level how cells work but not you know interactions between um you know drug cancer drugs and chemotherapy and things like that so i wouldn't know if that's a good paper or not i'd probably just take it at face value be like okay this is what it's telling me whereas in my own field i can spot that a lot easier um yeah sorry i didn't mean to ramble there no no it's, it's, <laughs> very, it's, it's important science of integrity um, essentially preludes to what caused some of the things we're going to talk about today in today's episode what caused them to slip through the net if you will uh, exactly and i think a lot of people unless you're inside the you know the sphere it can it can be it's not always easy to understand how science even gets published anyway um and what things are in place to stop that Mm -hmm. bad science getting through Um, bad science yeah yes with any with any with any sector uh of learning or work like in cybersecurity there's if you've worked in it and you know a little bit about it you can easily spot a like phishing emails and stuff but b if people are trying to sell things you can be like that's load of load of poppycock that is that's a load of rubbish 
Yeah. Um, like if anyone says they can protect you from 100% of something, you instantly just go, nah, that's that's a lie. <laughs> that's instantly. Yeah. Because it's always, it's, it's, it's not if, it's when. That's that's the the general sentiment in cybersecurity. It's not if, it's when, and that's what we plan for. Ah, and that makes sense, right? Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Cool. Um, something I forgot to mention. I was going to mention this at the top of the show, and then I rambled for ten minutes. Um, so quick sidebar. Do, do you know what episode this is? I don't know how much you keep track of. Uh, episodes uh, two five ten this is episode 50 50 yeah. yeah it's the 50th episode 50th episode so um yeah. yeah just a quick shout out to uh everyone thanks for listening and uh <laughs> thanks for you for being, being here mate it's been a pleasure yeah, yeah. always always you can make out we're here yeah but talk about science talk about, I mean, we can just keep doing it yeah. Uh, sometimes we talk about science, at least. Sometimes we just go off the rails. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> but we always come back. We always yeah, come back. generally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, sidebar over, as you Side. were. Oh. oh, I was thinking about doing some, some, some news, some sciencey news. Oh, okay. Yeah, go for it. And well, I thought I thought it was quite interesting. Nothing, I mean, groundbreaking. Uh, quite literally, could be groundbreaking. Yeah, I know it literally is groundbreaking, but it's to do more to do with uh, meteorites. Okay. Did you see this in the science news? I don't know how much science news you read during the week. Um, um normally on weekends actually, uh, weekends. but I've been at a conference this this week, so I haven't caught much. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I. But I got an RSS feed that just it just sends me things I'm interested in, and I think it means I have to go searching for it. Super lazy, uh, but super <laughs> yeah. especially yeah. For, like super niche things. If you find a good couple of like in hooks to like a niche thing, and then they just like send you good stuff. Like cybersecurity, there's a few niche places that you can get your your cybersecurity news by RSS feed because they love it. Uh, you just oh, I can imagine they do direct feed to your watch. Yeah, and some some of the ones that. Like I can remember being out and about, and it like popping up was like um, it's Imitet, which is a uh, Egyptian uh, pharaoh. It is an Egyptian pharaoh, <laughs> but it's the name of like a suite, like a hacking suite, and it okay. died out. And the thing it's called Imitet. It's all about like rebirth, and it just keeps coming back. Um, and it died like five years ago. And then it just was like, oh, I'm here again. And someone, someone brought it back. And it's this like whole suite of things that you can do to, to hack people. And it has a, um, the thing that they changed about it, it has like a custom service desk in it. So if you pay to use it, because it's subscription based, because we talked about before on the podcast, that um, cybersecurity and the dark web and the nefariousness, the bad people of the world, there's also like a, there's normally like an arms race or there's a mirror between how corporate legal entities work and legal entities work. Right. So yes. when people went to subscription based models like SaaS as a service, um, but you pay for a service, where it be platform, custom service, that kind of stuff. Uh, all of like, well, they don't actually know which. I don't think. I don't think you can pinpoint which came first. But um, all the illegal bad people started doing it as a service as well. So you have hacking as a service. Yeah. Uh, which has custom service in it. So if you're having an issue of your hacking tool and you're, you can't, you're struggling to fish someone to fraud them, uh, like the tool's breaking, you just message their, their service desk and they help. It's so bizarre. Which I think is incredible and terrifying. Uh, yeah. But yeah. yeah. So I mean, bizarre. selling a product. Yes. You gotta, you gotta support it. Uh, but that came back. But I was out and about, and I was like, "Oh no!" It came back. It affects a lot of people in um, uh, the Asian region. Okay. Uh, purely because in that area, like I know Japan specifically, they use Excel for their billing platforms a lot. So they'll send you a receipt, and it'll be via Excel, and you'll have to enable the macros to see the receipt, which right. is just like that's like the first like. 
day two of your cyber de cybersecurity degree, they go like macros are bad, ban them. Don't ever let them live. They are like such a vector of um, compromise. Like you just don't want it. Get out, out of here. Um, so yeah, they, they still use it a lot and it's their downfall. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I can track. Yeah, that's fair. Mm -hmm. But groundbreaking stuff, going back to that. Um, meteorites. So Literally groundbreaking. Literally groundbreaking. Because it's, it's all to do with how they find meteorites. Is these magnets. Because there's you know, metal, the meteorites. So if they're you know, dragging a magnet along the, or they're using the, the sweeper to beep, it all uses magnets so they can find them. Yeah. But uh, what a group of people found out, uh, and I haven't got their name down, which is awful of me. <laughs> Val Dio and his and their colleagues don't know what the team is, um, but they done some research into uh, magnets they found, and the ones that they either found with or without magnets to find them like the actual rocks itself and they found that the ones that used magnets completely ruined its magnetic sphere pulse whatever it is i can't remember exactly it is its magnetic field oh. that, that it is on it it ruins it and okay what they're trying to do is like trying to get people to find magnets without magnets meteorites without the magnets <laughs> Um, yeah, because if you can analyze the magnetic field, which hasn't been tampered with via magnets, you can kind of piece together the magnetic field from like it's, it's they called it magnetic memory, and you're essentially wiping that magnetic memory because it can give you some insight into where it came from, if it was from like a a bigger planet, like that kind of stuff, all that big. All that good data. So, like back is, in the day, if you had like a VHS tape and then you yeah, yeah, run, no, run a magnet like, over it, yeah. you get rid of it. One hundred percent. So yeah, so okay. it, over, it overwrites and imprints the, the magnetic field. Called um, and it's a process called remagnetization. That's pretty wild. Yeah. So I wonder if that gets affected coming through the Earth's atmosphere. Yeah. <sighs> We're still able to piece together. The, obviously, it's, we're still able to piece together the information, but I wonder, mm. I wonder if they have to correct in any manner for Earth's remagnetization. Yeah. Well, even if it changes slightly, if you didn't use, if you didn't remagnetize it, and you could scan the magnetic field, you could piece together that they all came from the same like chunks came off because when it comes in, yeah. if it survives, it blows to pieces and lands in different locations. You could be like, okay, we're identifying this by its magnetic field. It's part of that one. It's part of that one. It's part of that one. And you can build a bigger pitch. But if you wipe that, you, you have to use different methods. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. I never knew they still maintained like a magnetic field, but I guess it, or like a mag magnetic fingerprint even. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that was a thing. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So awesome. that's the big, big thing. Big thing. Groundbreaking. Ground, literally groundbreaking stuff. Yeah. All right. Um, Science one thing uh, that I thought might be a good place to start in terms of misconceptions um, is how people use the word hypotheses and the theory. Yeah, because the, yeah, lexiconography. Yeah, big, big, big issues. Big issues. So, it, it's a big issue everywhere. I know you're going to dive, in, dive oh, into like what a hypothesis, yeah. what a thesis, but it's a big issue everywhere, and a lot of places don't have a standardization on uh, how people talk or write things or agree things. It's it's crazy, especially like I'm going to social security here. There's a, that's the only thing I know apparently at the moment, but it's, it happens a lot. There'll be, there'll, be, there'll be interchangeable words. There'll be interchangeable acronyms. That's acronyms. Death by acronym. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Oof. Bugs me. Um, but you can have things like access. What does access mean? Like, well, that's something through. Yeah, but that can mean like so many different things in so many different locations. So there's like specific. Yeah. And knowing yeah. what I mean. Like, like knowing the difference between authorization, authentication, 
Uh, there's another one beginning with A. Uh, and knowing the, the, the different specificities to it. Yeah. yeah, no, I completely... I mean, my first chapter on my PhD is about exactly this. Okay. Yeah. And the lack of cohesive terminology. This um, means this. This means this. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of people will use, like, wildly different terms to talk about the same thing, and then a hundred years later, you wonder why people don't understand, like, the current literature that's out there. Mm-hmm. Not that it's anyone's particular fault. I mean, it's just there was uh, no standardization at the beginning. Um, But, yeah, so in everyday talk, you know, we use the words theory and hypotheses almost as synonyms, right? Um, you could be you're basically saying, I think this is the case, and these are my reasons why, even if I have no evidence to back it up. Um, mm. It's like, ah, oh, this is my theory, this is my hypothesis, and we just kind of mean the same thing. But in the scientific world, hypotheses and theories are wildly different things. So when someone who's not invested in the science world well, just hasn't come across this terminology like being very different before uh could often get confused and you see this line of reasoning all the time with uh evolution deniers um and they're like well evolution is just a theory which means it can be proven like it can be it can be wrong and no (laughs) (laughs) so Um, I'm going to go through what we mean by hypotheses, theories, and then laws in terms of science. So, hypothesis is a proposed explanation from observation or phenomenon that can be tested through experimentation or observation. So, this is step two of the scientific method we went through earlier. Um, Typically, it is a tentative statement that is subject to further investigation and refinement based on new evidence. Hypotheses are fundamental to the scientific method and are used to guide scientific inquiry. Theories, on the other hand, are well-substantiated explanations for a wide range of phenomenon that is based on a large body of evidence from many different sources. Theories are generally accepted as true within the scientific community and can be used to make predictions about future observations or experiments. They are constantly subject to testing and refinement based on new evidence and may be modified or even discarded if new data contradict them. Then we have laws. A scientific law is a description of a phenomenon or relationship that is always observed to be true under a particular set of conditions. Unlike a theory, a law does not explain why the phenomenon occurs or provide any underlying causal mechanisms. Instead, it's just a statement of fact that is derived from repeated observations um, and are typically used to summarise complex sets of data to describe fundamental principles of nature. So, TLDR, hypotheses, idea, no evidence. Theory, idea that has been proven with multiple sets of data and is accepted as true. Can they change over time when we fundamentally understand something different? For sure. This even happens with evolution, right? It's not exactly the same as when Darwin first introduced it. Things have changed. Um, This could be to do with the triggers of evolution. Uh, Let's say whether that's sexual, spatial, physiological. Also how speciation events even occur through time or in ecological niches. But at the, the fundamental basis that he introduced still holds true. And that's why it's a theory and not a hypothesis. Um, and it's not a law, it's pretty much as close as you can get to one, but it's not a law because we understand the mechanisms at play. Um, as I said, a law is just a statement of fact that we see every single time, but we're not entirely sure of the mechanisms at play underneath. For example, Isaac Newton's law of gravity. We have a pretty good idea um, and pretty good theory thanks to Einstein, but there's still something missing there and we know there's something missing there so yeah evolution deniers yeah <laughs> we see you you're wrong we see you out there <laughs> you're wrong yeah 
Um, so yeah, I just thought that's definitely something I've seen come up before. You see people arguing online or, you know, the Karens of the world out there. Oh, it's just a theory, you know. Well, it's not though, is it? <laughs> um, yeah, no. I so yeah. Like, oh, just people that say that. It's just theory though. It's just theory. That's not how it works. Not how works. Um, and it's just, you know, this isn't the same in other languages, right? This is just a English-speaking world problem. Mm. Um, okay, of course, it's not. It probably occurs in other languages as well, um, but it's just a kind of an unfortunate coincidence of the English language, let's say, or just the way that uh, it's played out through time. Uh, you know, slang changes over time. That these things in one context are completely synonymous, and in another context are completely a- anonymous. What's the opposite of synonymous? I can't even get my words out. <laughs> I, I don't know. A- it's not anonymous, is it? Because that's opposite of asynonymous. Son- Synon- yeah, you normally you normally add the a on the front. antonym. It's an antonym. Oh yes. Uh, anonymous. <laughs> See, I did the thing where you try and just add an A on the front. That didn't go no, very well. You got, you got symmetry and asymmetry. And they're opposite. Yeah, I tried. Non-synonymous. Um, an antonym. There we go. Antonominous? Antonominous? Um, antonominous. I am antonominous. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. That's an antonym. Yeah, that's my... That's, a, that's antonym for you. That's antonym for you. But yeah. Uh, what what have you got there, mate? Uh, Before I start rambling at more creative Science myths and misconceptions. Myths. All right. All right, your rich tapestry about the annals of human history. How about, how about I try that? Oh, that sounds exciting. Because, like, myths and misconceptions are not new at all. Throughout the annals of human history, science has been accompanied by its fair share of myths and misconceptions. Going back from like... I'd say it's a human thing, right? Yeah, because we just, we just don't know. You know, yeah. as, uh, we, we think we do know, but we don't. We don't know. Like, from ancient civilizations to the modern era, these erroneous beliefs have shaped and influenced our understanding of the natural world. For example, in ancient times, when humans sought to explain the mysteries of the universe, myths were woven into the fabric of our societies... Like in the realms of ancient Greece, gods and goddesses, goddesses were believed to control natural fundament. For instance, you know, the mighty Zeus, uh, he was associated with thunder and lightning, while Poseidon ruled the seas. And these mythological tales were not just stories, they were explanations for natural events that were beyond human comprehension at the time. I <laughs> mean, the- absolutely no wonder, right? Imagine yeah. trying to, like, your being. <laughs> you're plowing your field. That has in enough- ancient Greece. Consciousness, consciousness to kind of question why something happens, but not enough information to be like answer it. And you see the northern lights above you. Yeah. No wonder why you think gods are real. Like, yeah. and, and uh, Valhalla is there. Yeah. Existing within the northern A- lights. Absolutely, no wonder why the Valkyrie. You thought Freya was coming to help you, and the the Valkyries were uh, in the sky. Like. Yeah. What else are you meant to think at that time? Mm-hmm. Especially when oral tradition, even nowadays, uh, has such a strong bias about our beliefs. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. No, that's fine, man. You just, just you know, shaping it, shaping everything. Um, so then, you know, as uh, civilization progressed these mythological explanations began to intertwine with early scientific endeavors. During the Middle Ages, alchemy emerged as a precursor to modern chemistry, and alchemists sought to transmute base materials into gold and discover the elixir of eternal life. Yet, within their quest for knowledge, alchemists held onto mystical beliefs, incorporating the notion of spiritual transformations into their practices. We're starting to see that science is there, but, you know, because they still don't know everything, there's still un- there's still that like small slither of spiritual of the unknown, and then with the advent of the scientific revolution in the 16th and 17th century, a new wave of myths and misconceptions emerged. One of the most famous examples is the geocentric model 
which persisted the Earth that was the center of the universe. With celestial bodies, you know, spinning around us, revolving around it, if you were. Um, this belief persisted for centuries until the Copernican Revolution and the groundbreaking work of Nicholas Copernicus and Galileo Galilei. <laughs> Great name. Fantastic. You know what? Hats off to his parents. Uh, <laughs> Jonas Kepler established the heliocentric model that placed the sun at the center. And in the 19th century, a scientific understanding expanded, and so did the prevalence of myths surrounding certain disciplines. In the field of biology, for example, the idea of spontaneous generation held sway. It was widely believed that living organisms could arise spontaneously from non-living matter. Zombies. If you will. Uh, This belief persisted for centuries. And there was also laws (laughs) that were created around it. Which still persist. Yep. Um, yeah, and then this notion persisted until experiments of Louis Pasteur, which we talked about in the last episode, uh, in the yeah. mid 1800s, conclus- conclusively disproved it, demonstrating that life only arises from pre existing life. So this well, goes on. Pasteur had a good few oh, he did. discoveries, didn't he? He did. In- he did. Indeed. He had that. What, what, what did we speak about last, last milk. week? Well, yeah, it wasn't milk last week. It was though, pasteurization. Was it? Yeah, it was milk. It was milk. That's where it came oh, was from. Was it pasteurization? It was pasteurization, yeah, because it comes from. Oh, milk. And then he also did. He was the first person to inoculate people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so Louis Pasteur invented vaccines, vaccination, inoculation at least. So um, he's the reason that autism exists. Yeah. Nailed him. Got you. I've got you, Louis Pasteur. And what does that come back to? <laughs> Big milk. Big milk. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! It's big milk giving giving the children and the babies. Autism. It's just a deflection. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's oh, funny. Do me, big milk. Yeah, and again, and then in the next century, twentieth century, with this surge in scientific progress and simultaneous proliferation of mis fueled by sensationalism and ignorance, from the infamous case of the Pilton Man, a portraited missing link in human evolution that turned out to be a hoax to misconceptions around the effects of vaccines and autism myths and misinformation persisted despite scientific evidence to the contrary and in recent decades the advent of the internet and social media platforms have amplified the spread of science myths misinformation now spreads at an alarming rate often perpetuated by well-meaning individuals who lack scientific literacy or deliberately purveyors of pseudoscience Climate change now, flat earth theories and anti-vaccination movement are just a few examples of myths that have gained traction in the public consciousness. However, alongside these myths, a parallel movement has also emerged, that of skepticism and critical thinking. Scientists, educators and enthusiasts have tirelessly worked to debunk myths, promote scientific literacy and encourage evidence-based reasoning. The rise of fact-checking organizations, scientific communicators and dedicated debunking websites have played a pivotal role in countering the spread of this misinformation that's it so this is the history like there's there's always been i say an arms race it's not really an arms race but there's always been myths and science myths alongside proper science um and till social media which you know i just honestly i just honestly hate social media i can get rid of one thing just social media just be gone the worst yeah i mean it's difficult it's it's a double-edged sword right social media allows especially during covid we know this was a particularly important time for the spread of misinformation um it allows these echo chambers where people find all Mm -hmm. the village idiots across the country find each other and just circle jerk with their thoughts um but also it's a really good way to promote science and also get people involved in science. I mean, exactly like we're doing right here. We just love speaking about it. It may be interesting to other people, right? Um, I know some people, I work with some people currently whose entire research uh, opportunities have been completely salvaged by citizen science, which never would have been able to be the case if it weren't for social media. Um but yeah, it's a real double-edged sword, I think. It can be dangerous in the hands of the wrong people, uh, especially if they look like orange Doritos. Um, <coughs> and yeah, 
I'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame. Yeah. It's a shame. Because we talked to one individual back in the day who tried to bring it scientific a scientific paper to, in front of Congress, but then was told to redact 70%, I think it was. Yes. I can't remember what he said it was. Um, it, it was a large amount. But it was a staggering amount. And then I got my hands on the paper, both the redacted and the non-redacted uh, paper, through means of Mitchell's Good with the Internet. Um, and it was just ridiculous what they blotted out. Because you can compare the two... And some of the things that they said, like, was the what was one of the reason they said that it was too like promoting, uh, not unrest, but was just like, yeah, what, why, why was okay. it there? Yeah, I can't remember what it was. They're like, you haven't proven this properly. You haven't done this. Uh, yeah. That's a shame. And, and the thing is, like, mm-hmm. when you do that as well, it's, you know, blotted out either with the intention to subvert the message, right? Because mm-hmm. they wouldn't be blotting things out if they didn't want to present a certain angle. Or it's blotted out to keep, you know, certain information uh, private without knowing how that's going to change the perception of the message uh, with no, like, thought given to that. Either way, the intention or the the message has changed. Yep. Yeah. I well, just remember. I, mean, some, I don't remember. I've got the the points that we made in that interview, and some of the points from the the paper that they made, and it's just like such, just like the full American government style. You made this point, but this doesn't make sense. And be like, no, it does make sense. You just don't understand it because you're not an expert. You're asking me as the expert, as the subject matter expert, to explain something to you, and then you're attacking them for it, even though it's like this is science. This is a science fact. Like yeah. this is this is a statement, not up for debate. <laughs> yeah, it was all to do. Yeah, with like American... just because you don't understand it doesn't make it wrong. Yeah. And it's to do with, I think it's to do with the terminology of the, some of the Amazon rainforest being cut down and then planting fields. And it was the terminology of like the area being greener because there was more fields, but there's less Amazon rainforest. Yeah. Oh my Lord. Crazy stuff. (laughs) Like the most, one of the most painful things I watched in recent memory has to be the clips coming from the US Congress high court interviewing the TikTok don't see you do not get me started when there are um, like relics of the past who somehow are still allowed to be on boards and the congress who ask these questions that they have no idea how just and they don't have to have a working knowledge of how the internet works because I know that, like, and that's that's a lot for for a lot of people. That's like way beyond them. But just a working knowledge of like how apps, phones, connectivity works, just anything like that, I just think is like a must now. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. And especially if you're going to be sat on a board, do your research, unless they're being <laughs> intentionally obtuse. Now, I imagine for you, someone who is cybersecurity involved, very uh, tech heavy, um, that must have been even more painful. It's, it's it just, was for me. It just any because I've, I've watched the, the Facebook one, the um, is there an Oculus one? I can't remember if it was Oculus or is it, it was another one. Like the TikTok one, any anyone that involves like technology and they just don't understand. Yeah, it, it's, I I've watched it and it just it just brings me to annoyed tears every yeah. single time. And it uh, grinds my gears that. Yeah. Like, it, it would be better if they were at least going, oh, sorry, I don't understand. Can you explain it simpler? Rather than just being... No, they just double down. Rather than just, <laughs> ask, just asking the same question to get the response that they want. Yeah. Like, it's to all get, they're trying to, to do the is get them bait. to say a certain thing. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So can you, can you check my phone if it's from here to over here? It's like, it's not. No, it works. You just connect it to the Wi-Fi. If you're in this, and that's the thing, not knowing between like Wi-Fi, how Wi-Fi works, and like 4G, 
like just that kind of stuff <sighs> yeah so I, i've had this uh experience re- recently um one of my grandparents uh uses uh facebook just to as a chat to keep in contact with people um and she she was like oh well why doesn't it work outside of the house and i had to explain the difference between wi-fi and 4g <laughs> but she's over 80 and even then she went oh that makes sense yeah not had to question it since you know yeah one is the, um, the little box in your house one is the telephone pylons there we yeah. go yeah there we go so weird and uh <laughs> so, so yeah it, it infuriates me that these people are in a position of power to make a decision over people's lives especially rating relating this back to especially dr rod schoonover um and yeah. his attempts to inform climate change policies in the united states uh which obviously he resigned over in the end because yeah, of that was, that was the whole Dorito. Point. Yeah, he, um, he, he, he yeah. It's fair enough. Yeah. Good for him. Good for him. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, fair yeah. play. Um, so that's an example, I guess, not of bad science, but of, uh, well, hopefully good science not being used in the correct way. Uh, mm-hmm. Bad policy, <laughs> let's say. Yeah, bad science. Good science which is then turned into bad science then then drives bad policy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Makes me sad. Sad times sad indeed. Time. Full yeah, sag. Speaking about bad science, moving on. Yeah. Uh this I I've got I've got two. I've got a, a couple of seconds here. Okay. So I, I looked into the bad science of uh we talked about this before because it's the major it's the major scandal that happened in 2012 about the uh alzheimer's disease right um do you remember this i don't think i do no Around oh we, i thought we talked, we, we've talked about it previously but uh in 2012 a study was published in the nature in nature medicine is that a good one do you know Classic if that's a good one nature do you know, do you know uh, well anything one? nature related is very high profile so you have nature which is the main journal nature mm-hmm. communications which is for like short papers um nature medicine is the nature specific specifically for medicine so uh the way to think about journals the more broad they are the higher impact they have the more people is going to read it so if it's nature medicine it's very specified but because it's nature people are still going to read it a lot so yeah it's, it's quite a good one okay so it's quite a good one uh a study was published and they claim to have found a new protein that could be used to diagnose and treat alzheimer's disease a study led by Dr. Sylvian Lesney, I'm not going to try and do a French accent, I'm not in the mood, of the University of Minnesota, <laughs> was wisely praised and attracted significant media attention. However, just a few years later, it was revealed that the study had been completely faked. Uh, an investigation by Science found that Lesney had manipulated images in the study to make it appear that protein he was studying was more abundant in Alzheimer's patients than in healthy controls. The investigation also found that Lesney had failed to disclose that he had financial interests in the company that was developing a drug to target said protein. The scandal was, scandal was a major blow to the field of Alzheimer's research. It raised questions about the reliability of scientific research that was based off of that research and that the science in that area needed more rigorous standards for peer review it also led to the retraction of the study and the loss of his job. Uh, so the scandal also had a chilling effect on the field of Alzheimer's research. Many scientists became reluctant to publish their findings for being accused uh, of a fraud. A, a, a fraud or B, they, they used bad uh, sources. Uh, and this has slowed down the pace of the research and made it more difficult to find new treatments of Alzheimer's disease. This is a full fall from start to finish and the knock-on effect of what happened and like yeah why it was and that's so the thing ridiculous. that's the thing people don't consider as much often right it's like oh okay well one bad paper happened um but if that bad paper becomes like the crux for future research mm-hmm. and then it means the latter 10 years of research has been on nothing yeah set crazy say it back and imagine also read like just maybe you, you finish your, your phd or something 
you've done a postdoc for a few years, you've been citing this paper because it's the most influential one and lots of other people are doing it. And then you just find out, oh, actually, it was a load of wank. <laughs> just, it was just bad. Yeah, you're in your final then, stages. Like, <laughs> you like real final stages and then it turns out it's bad. And then like, what, what do you do? Like a lot of the techniques you've probably learned aren't going to mm. be maybe used anymore. Okay, they can be applied at other places for sure. But a lot of the theory changes because that's not actually the current like hypotheses anymore um yeah wild absolutely wild mm-hmm. um yeah got some more got some more uh some more uh examples i've i've got oh, of bad science yes of bad science i've, I've got a side a side note oh, um and it's just an anecdotal story so during my undergrad, um, we had a, one of our professors was Dr. Well, maybe he's a professor now, uh, Rory Wilson. And he is, he's great. He's a pioneer in tagging animals. So he was one of the first people who figured out, um, he worked a lot with penguins and tagging penguins mm-hmm. is difficult because you want to know where they're going, how far they're diving, what they're doing when they're diving, how far away from shore do they go. Mm -hmm. So what you want to be able to do is put a tag on them that takes all of this telemetry data, pings it up to a satellite. Um, But you don't want this to be so big that the penguins obviously are hindered by it, right? You don't want to uh, change the energetic cost of the penguin. So they ended up developing some really small tags, which was great. Um, and really kind of changed the entire field of biologging, that that field is called. But one person who was coming up uh, at the same time as him was working on a colony of South African, I think, Gentoo penguins or chinstrap penguins. Mm -hmm. And they were like, okay, well, what we're going to do to try and see where these penguins go, and this is a, I'm pretty sure he wasn't just having us on a completely true story, is we're going to tie some balloons to the penguins as a tag. Right. And what they didn't realize at the time, because they hadn't been able to put tags on to the penguins uh, to see how far they, how deep they go, was they just thought penguins are quite shallow feeders. So they only put like 10, 20 meters of string on the balloon to the penguin, right? Right, yeah. Turns out, penguins, they dive a lot deeper than that. Yeah, they do. Um, So they managed to accidentally uh, shrink the population of that colony by 75%. How much? Sorry, repeat that. How much? I think 75%. This number is uh, a guess, but it was definitely... I remember there being a 7 in there, uh, and a 70. Um. Yeah, they basically wiped out a colony of penguins because they were tagging a lot of them um, who then couldn't come back and feed the juveniles. Um, And it took them a bit too long to actually wonder why they were dying um, until other people managed to put smaller tags on that recorded the depth and realized they were going a lot deeper than the balloons would allow them to. So yeah, bad signs. The worst. bad signs. It's the worst. It's the worst. That's obviously, honestly, the that worst. is the, some of the, the the worst scientific like methodology yeah. I've ever heard of in my entire life. Um, so yeah, luckily people like Rory Wilson uh, persisted in actually developing better technology. Um, there's actually tags now that you just it's about the size of like a paracetamol pill, mm-hmm. and you could put it inside. You just inject it into like a penguin. And uh, then then when they walk back up on the beach, there's scanners on penguin pathways because penguins have OCD and will just follow each other. And they've like made pathways that they always use. Um, So it's a really good way just to scan in the penguins as they come back to the beach and take the data off. Um, So yeah, much more efficient now. We're not destroying ecosystems. Uh, But yeah, that's that's an anecdote. (laughs) that people should hopefully never repeat again. Yeah. Ever. 
Ever again. Ever, yeah. <laughs> Tragic. Imagine doing a PhD and then like a year later reporting. So, got some data. They dive deeper than 10 meters. Bad news. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> 70% of them are dead. Yeah. Well, good news. We don't have to do any research on them anymore. Why? Because uh, we got the wall. Oh, what's the last bit? Uh, we got the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Tragic. Um, but I'm sure it's not the only time things like that have happened. You know, accidental invasive species as well, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, right. Back, well, back to you. Yeah. Some some, uh, some some examples over the years. Okay, but I mentioned before the the Piltdown Man. Piltdown. Piltdown Man. Down man. Uh, I mean, my hay fever's locking my nostrils for Pilt Van Man. <laughs> uh, so, this is early in the 20th century. Charles Dawson, an amateur archaeologist, presented the discovery of the Pilt Down Man, claiming to be the ancient human ancestor and the missing link of the chain. However, it was later revealed to be a forgery. It was a human skull combined with orangutan's jawbone. Uh, the motive behind this hoax remains unclear, uh, but it resulted in significant confusion and wasted years of research efforts in the field of human evolution. I want to have a look at this Piltdown Man. Yeah, say it how say it how I'm saying it. Spell it how I'm saying it because it's probably I'm not doing it right. But P I L T D O W N no yeah. space for those Pelt of you. At- down. Oh, people even made like. 3D models of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but who... Who, like, looks at a human skull and an orangutan skull and goes, if I put those together, I'll be remembered forever. <laughs> like, what? Oh, my lord. Yeah, don't, okay. Don't, don't. I'll shoot the message on this one. Uh, oh, yeah, no. And that was, okay, back in 1989, Cold Fusion. Okay. So Martin Fletchman and Stanley Pons claimed to achieve Cold Fusion, a nuclear reaction at room temperature, creating an immediate frenzy and promising a new era of limited energy. Uh, however, their experiments couldn't be replicated and the subsequent investigations found significant flaws in their methodology and their data. Uh, the scientific community largely dismissed their claims as a result of experimental error and inadequate controls instead of them doing it on purpose. Yeah, that's another thing uh, I'm running into at the minute um, in certain behavioural circles. Uh, it's important to have controls so you know what the evidence you're presenting is actually what you think it is. Yeah, controls. Controls everywhere. Always, always need controls. All the controls. All the controls. Otherwise, how do you know? How do you know things? Someone could be hacking your system. How are you going to know? Unless you've got a control in place. Exactly. Yep. And then you have a control that's related to a risk. If your control fails, then your risk goes up. And then you know you've got issues. I mean, yeah. That's definitely how it works. I'm just giving you a brief (laughs) glimpse into the, the... what goes on inside of a cybersecurity department, infosec department? Infosec department is probably a better way of explaining that. Right, the next one. The autism. Not just autism yeah. straight up, but the vaccine autism <laughs> link. To autism Listen up, you people. We've got something to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, no. I can't. can't uh, I can't. I can't no. do that. Uh, no. I've been doing that. You know, there's like online tests you can do for autism, self assessments. To, to you, you, it's not like you do it and then you have you, you can label yourself. But it's like if you score above a certain amount, you should probably go to your GP and chat about the next oh, steps. Yeah, no, don't the World Health Organization have one of those? They do. It's like a preliminary thing. They do. And if you don't know what to talk about at the doctors, yeah, UK. That's a good thing to take. Uh, right. NHS has got one as well for you people uh, in the okay. UK. 
that you can take and they'll write out the letter for you to take if you don't know what to say. Um, doing, doing a few of those because it came up at work uh, just for different reasons. Um, and uh, the normal people score like, I don't know, like a good, good 30. Good 30. That's, that's, that's like uh, neurotypical. Uh, and I was like, oh, I'll just go through it. Just see how it goes. How it goes. Still do, do it through it. I'll do the uh, the old um, what's it called masking. I'll I'll, I'll unmask it and answer truthfully. Uh, yeah. Got, got one hundred and forty eight. What's it out of? Just, uh, uh, I think the max you can get is like one hundred eighty. And I was like, is there's, there's the no AQ way. Test. There's no way. There's no way this is this is right. So I did another one. Didn't score as high. But I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give it a thought. I'll give it a thought. Ask my parents, because you can't do it with the things you do now. I realize this, because it comes up a lot. And some of the questions in the, there's an R-A-A-N-D-S test. I can't remember what it stands for. But they ask for you, if you do it now, if you've done it since now and before you were 16, or if you did it when you were younger than 16. Right. Because there's tr- you can do... You can learn traits now that are can be described as uh, autistic traits or traits that you express for someone that is, has autism, to be correct about it. But they can be learned traits. They, they're not indicators of. Yes, for sure. So yeah. you have to, they have to be things that happened when you were younger. So if you do go and get a, an assessment from the NHS or a healthcare provider, you have to go take someone that knew you when you were a child to say if you did things as a child that would be perceived as X. That makes sense. Yeah, and that's why it's so hard to have an adult diagnosis now. Yep. Um, it's the same thing for uh, any, any you know, uh, yes. thing on spectrum, so ADHD, ADD as well. Um, but, and also... If you've, you, you're, you know, in, in terms of triage, which is how most systems operate. Medical systems, indeed. They triage things. Mm-hmm. Um, medical systems, correctly, sorry. Uh, well, not just medical, adults, any, any, any urgent, any yes. system that has a urgency. And is resource limited. Resource limited, and you need to provide, like, who gets priority, you have a triage system. Yeah. So in terms of triage, adults who have survived until, you know, their adulthood without significant... <laughs> uh, sorry, that, that sounds horrible. Uh, pe- adults, adults who don't, who obviously have, you know, made it to adulthood without any significant issues relating to undiagnosed um, conditions are obviously less of a, uh, what do you call it? priority than children who may yeah, yeah, need yeah, the yeah, diagnosis yeah, so that, that's another reason why it's so hard to you know even get uh to be in a position to even have a appointment about being diagnosed yeah um but it's definitely worth pursuing i i, I would advocate for yeah if you think i think anyone should to if like if it's an inkling, something that you're like oh maybe Oh yeah, maybe I'm not. And you take one of these things, and it's like, "Yo, <laughs> you need to get tested." <laughs> yeah, they, they later, go do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, do it. Yeah, it's always, always better to do it rather than later. But um, going back to the the fake fake news. Yes, sorry. And this is this is something that people love to bring out when they're like, "Ah, oh, actually, if you're an anti-vaxxer," and they're like, "Oh yeah, actually, no, vaccines cause this." And they they bring out this paper. Um, yeah, Andrew Wakefield and the MMR Vaccine Autism Link. In the late 1990s, Andrew Wakefield, a British physician, published a study suggesting a link between measles, mumps, and rubella, which is the MMR vaccine that most kids are when we were children, babies even, we would have got this, uh, and yeah. autism. His research sparked a widespread fear of va- and vaccine hesitancy which is just people don't want to do it uh and it was later revealed that he manipulated the data violated ethical standards and had a significant conflict of interest and his study was retracted and simply scientific investigations found no evidence supporting link between mmr and autism 
Like, it, yeah. It's, I it's just, just wonder, like, what makes people do that? Well, do actually, that. I'll, I'll tell you. He had financial ties to the lawyer, to lawyers who were suing vaccine manufacturers, and had fabricated data to try and uh, sway that verdict. What a prick. Yeah. Uh, and, and a study published in 2015 redid it, as in re-redid it, but like did another investigation into it and found there's no links between MMR vaccine and autism. Even with children who were <laughs> high risk of autism, they showed there was no yeah. links whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's absolutely staggering. I mean, like... Maybe it's fortunate the scientists are massive nerds. Uh, there's, there's no escaping it. Like scientists, no if escape. you're a scientist, you are a nerd. It, and that's not a bad thing. No, no I think all. most people I speak to are very passionate about their research field because they love it, and that's just what makes them a nerd. Um, sorry, but uh, I feel like, and I, I don't know what it is. There's a correlation between nerdiness and moral code. Okay. Maybe it's just our generation um, growing up, you know, with like mm-hmm. Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, all of that kind of stuff. Nerds generally have a better moral code than most other people I, most other groups I know as a general rule. Yeah. Um. So maybe it's like... <laughs> I don't know. Like we, this entire science thing is built on having a moral code, sticking to it, and then if someone isn't sticking to it, hopefully the reviewer or two catches it. Yeah, I I think which a bit, a bit of seems the... slightly flawed. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I think uh, it that's the like... way it is. I don't know. The neurodiversity, I think in scientists may have yeah. uh, an effect on that. Yeah. Yeah. Quite possibly, actually. Yeah, I think you should, should do a study into that. Yeah, uh, not quite my field. Uh, but again, that may just be like a bias of the certain Sample. people I interact with. Do you know what I mean? You're calling your friendship group out there. <laughs> what, nerds? Yeah, they're, they're a bunch of nerds. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to be Oh, I see. <laughs> Bad scientist. <laughs> oh, no, not that. The other way. Okay, uh, good. The, the final one I want to talk about before we finish that ran off the show today is Jana Hendrik Schon's nanotechnology fraud. A German physicist published a series of groundbreaking studies on nanotechnology, including the fabrication of organic transistors and other, other remarkable achievements. Um... And then under scrutiny of investigation, it revealed that he just falsified the data, plagiarized works, and published results that couldn't be replicated ever. Um, yeah. And that's the dangerous about emerging fields. People, especially yes. like nature and other things like that, are so eager to be the first ones to publish. Mm. And nature, as I've spoken about before, has a reputation for publishing Being bad. new and exciting things. And yeah. let's say uh, Nature publishes something on nanotubes. Uh, they're not going to publish something on nanotubes again, at least within the exact same vein or for a while, right? Uh, as long as they're the first, uh, it's exciting, great. And sometimes that supersedes the quality mm-hmm. of the science being published. And especially with emerging fields, it's harder, much harder to verify the methods used especially if it's been written in a sound manner. Yep. Yeah. Fun times. Fun times. Bad science. What are you going to do about it? Fun times, bad science. That's the way the world has gone. You know, I've gone through half a page of my notes. Not even. Not even that. We're an hour, <laughs> hour in. Hour in. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's a, just good combos. You know what? Because I right. know how to pace myself. Matter notes. So that's it for me. Catch you guys on oh. the flip flop. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Well, the rest of you ready, ready to settle in for another hour of solo. <laughs> Just, oh, dear. Once upon a time. Here we're going to debate the effect of thalidomide. This. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, wait. Wait, wait. Hold on. What were you saying about thalidomide babies? Thalidomide. Um, well, that, that was going to be one of my next topics. Whether Was that bad science or just oversight? Uh, I think that was oversight. Because... Just accident. Cause, um, yeah, they didn't it, know basically... the repercussions because they didn't know. Yeah, they couldn't exactly. know how flimmy yeah. flimmy my babies. That's sad. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, pretty tragic. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, once upon a time when <laughs> someone was doing the Centurion Challenge... In terms of sitting in a house alone? Or was it before that? Was it when you were doing your thesis that I was podcasting alone? Yeah. An hour a week? No, yeah, it was yeah. when I started third year and you were podcasting by yourself. Yeah, that was a good time. <laughs> I had a good time anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fun times, yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Cool. Well, that brings us to the end of this show then. Um... So, yeah, don't forget to share this with your friends, families, co-workers, scientists, good and bad. Um, if you want more information, fun science, you can follow us at Twitter and TikTok, at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram, InformationEntropyPod, and of course, whichever directory you're listening to this on right now. If you give us a follow, a rating, a like, a comment for improvement, that would be absolutely stellar. And yeah, anything else to, to mention there, mate? Ah, that's it for me awesome source we'll catch you guys the next week peace ciao